Greetings and welcome to the Reorg Primary View, where we bring you incisive interviews and insight on issues affecting distressed debt, leverage finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds, high-yield municipals, covenants, private credit, private equity, middle market, private debt, and now mortgages. And it's my great pleasure to welcome back Christopher Maloney, the MBS strategist at Bank of Oklahoma Financial Capital Markets. Chris has over a quarter century of experience in the industry, beginning his career on the NASDAQ trade desk at Prudential. Afterwards, he managed fixed income portfolios of both Lehman Brothers and then Newberger Berman. He most recently was the mortgage strategist for over a decade on the first word desk at Bloomberg News and earned an MBA from NYU Stern. He is currently working on a book, his second, concerning the creation of the Federal Reserve System. Chris, thank you for being with us during this very interesting time. Uh, thanks. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me. And now, um, as I understand the history of the thing, the mortgage-backed security was the invention of Louis Ranieri at Salomon Brothers back in the days of yore. Can you explain to us what exactly MBS is, how they work, and why they are considered good collateral to be held by banks? Yeah, exactly. A, uh, a mortgage-backed security is exactly what the name implies. These are debt instruments whose cash flows to the investor that based on the mortgages that underlay the bond. Now, mortgage bonds actually have a very long history in America's security markets. While Lou Ranieri created the modern version of them, they were mortgage bonds that were created by a St. Louis banker named Festus Wade in the late 1800s, who took a mortgage and he'd slice and dice them, pull them into securities and sell them off to investors. Back then, it was mostly insurance companies and note brokers. Now, much of the same happens today. The investor who buys a bond gets the monthly principal and interest payments along with any prepayments if the mortgage is paid off either in whole or in part earlier than expected. Bottom line, you never really know what your cash flow schedule looks like when you buy an agency mortgage bond. And I would say that's one of the most fun parts of investing and following these things. Uh, however, even back in the late 1800s, one thing that investors and issuers quickly learned about these mortgage bonds is that it was certain death to any issuer who guaranteed their payments to investors. Despite being backed by homes, mortgages are a very long-term, very risky instrument. In fact, banks under the national banking system in this country, that was a system which preceded the Federal Reserve System, were forbidden to touch mortgages at all. So now Fannie Freddie Mac and Ginny May approved the point. The former two collapsed into bankruptcy in 2007, and they now join Ginny May as departments of the U.S. government that are sustained purely on taxpayer guarantees. So the taxpayer has been forced to make up any losses in agency mortgage bonds. Uh, that's the major reason why agency MBS are considered AAA collateral. They have absolutely no credit risk because they are backed by the taxpayer. Now, mortgages, of course, they do hold risk, but it comes from other sources, such as your duration positioning, the shape of the yield curve, refinance waves hitting the underlying homeowners. But credit risk itself is something an agency MBS investor needs to never worry about. 
Okay, thank you. That's very interesting. Now, uh, you and I met back in the glory days of Ben Bernanke and his money-flinging fleet of helicopters. And I actually remember once saying to you that we would never see the 10-year treasury over 3% in our lifetimes. I was, of course, wrong as usual. And this has, of course, changed. What happened and what does it mean for MBS purely as an investment vehicle? Well, essentially, the Federal Reserve stopped holding the market's hand and told it to get off the couch, get a job, and deal with life as an adult. It was time to finally raise rates and let all the accumulated bonds purchased under all the quantitative eating, easings we've seen since 2008, letting those bonds roll off the balance sheet and back into private hands. The constant quantitative eatings and zero interest rate policy since 2008, they dampen volatility and price discovery in a very dangerous way, and not just in mortgages, across securities markets in general. The most important component of any economy is your prices. Prices have a job to do. Prices have an information content in them that tell you this is scarce. This is plentiful. People want this. People do not want that. This is risky. This is not so risky. So when you have monetary manipulation going into the market and playing with prices, it essentially you're flying blind as an investor and as an economy as a whole. And that, in my opinion, is what has happened over the four quantitative easing programs and zero interest rate policy we've had over the last 15 years. All that has done is left the mortgage market, well, all, mark, all markets for that matter, flying blind to a very large degree. Like if you look at the height of QE4, which happened 2020 to 2022, and QE4 was the most recent, by far the most aggressive of all the QEs. The 30-year mortgage lending rate fell to around 2.65% for a 30-year mortgage. Now, that's not something to be proud of if you're a central banker. It more points to how meaningless prices can become in times of aggressive monetary stimulus. So what quantitative easing does now and historically is that it crushes spreads and yields. And so that incentivizes people to chase after yield and increase the leverage in a desperate attempt to generate anything close to normal returns. And while unfortunately, at the same time, you're taking on a large amount of risk. So when the Fed pivoted to tighten policy and raised rates 450 basis points in less than a year because high inflation arrived, yields jumped higher, particularly on the front end of the curve. And the more debt and leverage an economy has, the more brittle it is to any outside negative event, such as a Fed tightening cycle. But with the inflation unleashed by QE4, the central bank really doesn't have much of a choice. So last year, if you look at US, the US MBS index, it lost 223 basis points in excess return compared to treasuries. Now that's almost, but not quite as bad as the record loss we saw in 2008, which was negative 232 basis points. But even since last January, January of 2022, excuse me, out of the 14 months since then, 
Nine of those months have seen the excess return on the USMBS index be in the top two historically for that month, either as the best or the worst in the index's history. And July, last July, was the best return in the index's history of all. And August was the worst index history in the index's history of all. So what's really happened is the Fed has taken its thumb off the scale and yields and prices and volatility especially have bounced back. But unfortunately, they had no choice with inflation doing what it's doing. Okay, thank you. Now, um, Silicon Valley Bank, the reason why we're talking about mortgages today, it attributed some of its trouble to losses in its mortgage portfolio, and they had a pretty heavy weighting in MBS along with treasuries, and their disclosures indicate it was mostly in longer-dated MBS. So what exactly happened there? Well, under the caveat that I'm not a banking analyst, but you know, I can look and say, the Silicon Valley Bank was was rather unique, at least we hope it was, in a number of particulars. One, like most banks, they did not hedge their portfolio of agency MBS at all, which left them badly exposed to adverse market moves, which you've seen over the past year plus in mortgages. And they piled into agency mortgages during the QE4 era. They weren't alone in with banks in that regard. And during the QE4 era, you had a wave of American homeowners refinancing to take advantage of record low mortgage lending rates. This reset the weighted average coupon paid by American homeowners dramatically lower. At this point in time, right now, about one third of all American homeowners with a 30 year mortgage are paying 3% or less on their mortgages. What this meant is that while Silicon Valley Bank was piling into mortgages, the production coupons for agency MBS fell to one and a half percent, two percent, two and a half percent, which means the duration on your mortgage bond portfolio moves much higher as rates normalize post QE4. And with a coupon of one and a half, two percent or two and a half percent, that means your mortgage bonds, which you purchased over the past couple of years at, say, 102, 103, now fell to about 80 cents on the dollar. That's massive red ink. The Silicon Valley Bank, their bond portfolio, it fell to the point that the losses exceeded their capital and wiped out the firm, even according to a call report it released at the end of the fourth quarter. And because they had such a concentrated depositor base in terms of the industry they supported, which is startups, when they when those depositors started pulling their deposits both due to concerns over the bank's health and the fact that many of them were burning through this cash quickly, so they needed to withdraw the money. They had to hold their nose, meaning Silicon Valley Bank had to hold their nose, and they were forced to sell about $20 billion or so agency MBS at a massive loss last week, according to what we were hearing on the desk. So also their depositor base was also very small in terms of numbers for a bank of that size, which means their average depositor had a very large balance. So when they went in to withdrew it, it depleted their deposit base very, very quickly. And here we are. 
Okay, um, but luckily the government is here and it's here to help and it has created a new acronym to address the problem. And I think this one is BTFP. Not sure what that means, but can you tell us that this program will address the problem? Yes, the, uh, the it's called the Bank Term Funding Program, BTFP. We have a lot of acronyms now in the markets. And this is just the latest in a string of bailouts since 2008. You know, it's easy to lose track of and hard to remember the buffet table of like programs we've seen over the past decade plus since QE1 kicked off. What the BTFP does is that it now allows depository institutions banks, credit unions, savings banks, to take their bonds, even when they're deeply in the red, repo them with the Fed at par and with no haircut for a 12-month period at OIS plus about 10 basis points. I believe off the top of my head, that's a cost of about 4.5%. So you get to pretend, because a par price is a pretend price on these bonds, that the bonds are worth far more than they actually are, which they are not. So while this addresses it in the short term, and also while the announcement by the Treasury and the FDIC that all deposits, insured or not, will be made whole, and that will hopefully stop the bank runs, these will not change the underlying problem that there are banks that are sitting on a sea of red on their balance sheets. In one year, when this program runs out, when they return the money and take the bonds back on their balance sheet, what has changed? Nothing. It seems here that the Fed is kicking the can down the road, crossing its fingers, and hoping that things just get better over the intervening period. But this creates yet more moral hazard, in this case for depositors, and also for banks who won't be watching their balance sheet as closely for in terms of losses on their bonds. This is the long-term problem now. It's been 15 years, and we're constantly kicking the can down the road. And when you don't take your medicine now, the problem gets worse down the road. And again, here we are 15 years down the road, and we've yet to solve this problem. Okay. Now, the Fed, at least until this happened, was more focused on the price stability part of its mandate than the full employment mandate. Um, and, and I think I remember some estimates that rates would top out around 6%. Now, how does all of this change the Fed's calculus, especially with a meeting coming up um, fairly soon? Well, that, of course, right now is, and it always is the way the market is and how powerful the Fed is in our market, is that's a question of all questions for Wall Street. What will be the Fed's reaction function to this? Now, while forecasts were calling for a terminal rate for the Fed funds of 5.5% last week, and I was there too, I think that forecast is now as dead as a dodo bird. I explained in past morning commentaries that the one thing that can make the Fed pause with this tightening cycle is a banking crisis. We're staring at a banking crisis at the moment. So... While I did forecast that 5.5% terminal rate, I now believe the Fed may go 25 basis points at the at the next meeting. Of course, forecasts right now are calling for them to pause at the next meeting. And possibly after that, I believe the Fed will sit on its hands and wait to see how the market responds to a 5% terminal rate, the BTFP, and the guarantee of all depositors. 
Now, will the Fed cut rates and start QE again? Uh, this I doubt very much. The reason being inflation is running at over 6%. Ignoring that and going back to quantitative easing would change inflation expectations and likely push longer term yields even higher. Now, that would only exacerbate the very problem they're trying to stop. And I'm talking about pushing long maturity bonds on banks' balance sheets even deeper into the red. The best the Fed can do right now is to pause and allow the economy to grow up to the massive increase in the money supply they created during QE4 when they increased it by 40% in a little over two years. That's the source of your inflation. Now, 40% over two years, vastly higher rate of money growth than any similar period since at least the 1960s. So will the Fed begin raising rates again this year? I can't say. I mean, maybe allowing the economy just to grow up to the larger money supply that we have now in the economy. And this is what the Treasury did after the Civil War years to allow us to get back on the gold standard. That might be the best option. You know, sometimes the best option is to just sit on your hands, watch the sun roll across the sky and leave well enough alone. OK, well, well, definitely something to watch for if that actually happens. Um, thank you very much, Chris, for your time and for the wise comments. And thank you to everybody for listening in.